You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Episode 7, The Accident of Great Resistance. This episode is brought to you by the right to resist, the right to rebel, and the right to stand up in the face of authority and say, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Luther actually sent the 95 Theses to Albert of Brandenburg, the Archbishop of Mainz, who was trying to pay back his debt to the Fugger family by, you know, selling indulgences in his land. Nailing theses to the door of the church, it was actually a legitimate thing to do, as that was how one started an academic discourse within the university circle of academics in Wittenberg. There is a chance that Luther did later do this, but it is more symbolically rebellious as a story than it would have been in actuality. In fact, Hendricks suggests that had he not sent the theses to Albert, but merely introduced it to the Wittenberg scholastic community by nailing it to the door of the church, then, quote, the issue might have remained academic and not raised hackles in Mainz or Rome, end quote. But did Luther intend for the drastic consequences of his action? Probably not. Here's Hendricks again, quote, the 95 Theses were not a battle cry, but neither were they a benign suggestion for reform. End quote. Luther must have understood that there would be ramifications, as he could only reconcile his internal struggle by demissing that which had become normalized and established for hundreds of years. So what did Albert, the Archbishop of Mainz, encounter when he actually opened Luther's missive? The Theses made three main points. The first was that it objected against the money being used to building a church in Rome. Probably the most scandalous of all the theses was number 86, in which Luther wrote, quote, Why does the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the richest Crassus, build the Basilica of St. Peter with the money of the poor rather than with his own money? End quote. The second point was that he questioned and denied the authority of the Pope over purgatory, asking why the Pope would not just 
release everyone from purgatory if he was so able. And finally, he said it was cheating the welfare of the sinner to make them think that buying an indulgence could ever come close to compensating for true contrition. People would think they were saved when they were anything but. So that essentially lit the fuse. But it was a long, slow burn. The Vatican was awfully slow to respond. Several years, in fact, before they responded with anything of what you would consider substance. There are so many factors beyond the man himself to explain why he succeeded in such impact where many others before him had failed. One, probably most famously, was the advent of the printing press. Distribution in Luther's time was suddenly easy. Information could spread like a contagion. The Wittenberg academic community was vital also, really important to remember. Luther had supporters who were learned academics and theologians. He was protected within his locality because of a nurtured environment of discourse, which really stems from the prince of the land, the Renaissance man, Frederick the Wise. So while the Vatican effectively twiddled its thumbs in taking charge against his defiance, Luther and his academic circle continued their work all the while giving classes to their students who were now exposed to a radical and exciting idea. You see, implicit in Luther's later, more developed theology, any person could be a priest, as the Catholic establishment was not divinely predestined to make the rules. Luther would open up the Bible for any individual to interpret. He was not officially and demonstrably quite there yet, but the skeleton of this concept was there in his teachings at this time. He would have been developing the tangent in lectures that he gave to his students. Eventually, we're heading towards something called the Diet of Worms, which happened in 1521, and that was when Luther would defend himself as a heretic. Along the way, though, basically everyone was trying to figure out what to do across that supranational dual system of secular and ecclesiastic authority that reigned over this part of Europe. So... As Luther continued to teach, his works started to spread. They would be printed by admirers, friends, and soon they made their way across Europe. People began to talk, either for or against him. In 1518, he was invited to the triennial Augustinian meeting in Heidelberg. He was welcomed with honour, which surprised him, because along the way he'd been warned that he would be burned as a heretic and he is said to have feared just this happening. However, when he got there, although there were many letters read out that had been written against him, it's said that he got quite a good reception. Bainton actually remarked that, quote, the older men did no more than shake their heads and the younger were enthusiastic, end quote. You can smell it, can't you? It's generational change. It's coming. And despite the fact that Luther at this stage, he had fear to, or reason to fear being burnt as a heretic, his attendance here can be argued to have served to further sow this seed, to nurture this seed of resistance within the generation around him. The younger men were feeding off his ideas. The main rivals of the Augustinians at the time were the Dominicans, and the Dominican order very quickly positioned themselves against Luther. They took the establishment line, and they actually ended up awarding Johann Tetzel, who had been selling these indulgences in Germany, a doctor's degree. 
Tetzel was famous at the time for having this little jingle, which went, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And it became famously attached to him, and wasn't seen to be the position of the church, but certainly something that was attached to him. And Luther was railing against it in his preachings. So Luther, excuse me, Tetzel, had been awarded this doctor's degree by the Dominican order, and that meant that he could publish. So he started to publish against Luther. He published a bunch of theses that refuted Luther and defended that jingle and the practice of selling indulgences. As Luther was returning from Heidelberg to Wittenberg after this conference of Augustinians, students in his hometown collected one night around 800 copies of Tetzel's work and other works against Luther. They took them to a spot in the town, put them together, and set them on fire. They created a bonfire, a book burning, a good old-fashioned book burning. So the youth had officially entered the fray, and this is key to any resistance, and especially the resistance that would unfold here. Luther was terribly embarrassed by this, but it would not be the last time that he had lost control of his resistance. Perhaps he never had control of it at all. Book burning can mean so many things, just dependent on who is committing it, right? The youth in Wittenberg, by burning Johann Tetzel's defense of church infallibility, they were committing one of the most striking examples of resistance and rebellion that one can imagine. And this is the first true instance that Luther's resistance had expanded out of his hands and out of his mind. Others were now very clearly involved. His message, though, began to condense. As he came back to Wittenberg, faith alone began to create a sense of individual power for people. Luther had lost any respect for the position of ordained priests and for the structure of the church. So this is a point where we can look at what was really cooking, and we can see that Luther had begun to lose control of his kitchen. He would not be able to stop the events that were brewing, and which would end up tearing Europe asunder. One of the major issues of the printing press for Luther and the widespread distribution of his work was that he had produced that work on a very high academic level. It was meant for fellow theologians, but suddenly it was in the hands of a laity. Combine that with the fact that the core message of it was that basically anyone could be a minister, as faith alone was all that mattered. So people are starting to read this, but without what Luther felt was the necessary education to interpret it. He started to see the need for clarification and explanation. Now the church was still twiddling its thumbs, starting to make noise against him, and at this point he could have still recanted and he could have stepped away from it. He'd seen the reaction of the youth burning the books in Wittenberg, and he could have maybe stepped away from it indeed at this point, but he felt the need for this clarification, and so he kept producing works that would clearly define his position. This was a bit of a blow at the established order that just kept getting stronger and harder. He just kept going further and further against the church, becoming all the closer to being a heretic, which they had not yet labelled him, by the way. In the course of producing these clarifications, Luther would make another two points that would really fortify him against the church and manage to really piss them off. The original Bible was in Greek, but the church Bible was in Latin. The Latin depended on a translation from the Greek, and Luther began to scour the Greek edition of the New Testament, 
that his contemporary and famous great Dutch humanist Desiderius Erasmus had recently produced. So he started to read Erasmus's Greek New Testament. As always, I'm going to skim above the surface, but basically he saw in Matt 4.17 a phrase that in Latin had read, do penance, but in Greek he read it as be penitent. This fit right in with Luther's great revelation. It was not the act of penitence, but simply being penitent, faith alone. The other point was a bit more complicated, but was a very big fuck you to the church. The church had experienced the great schism between East and West in 1054. This had created the Roman Church and the Orthodox Church. Luther floated the idea that as the Roman Catholic Church, this all-powerful, divinely ordained authority, had not held such primacy prior to the schism, their authority was actually a result of historical development, of human development, rather than because of divine decision. So he was only just suggesting this idea, but it was challenging the primacy of the church. And he would build upon this very, very quickly. And by this stage, having said these two points, it was definitely too late for Luther to ever go back. By now, and because of this, he was banned from preaching. But fuck you, he said, in my mind. I won't do what you tell me. He continued to preach. He ignored the ban. And I'm sure that Luther had no real idea where this was heading, but he knew that he had gone on a path that he couldn't go back from now. Almost certainly he must have greatly feared for his fate, which if you had been betting on at this stage, the greatest probability would have been dying by being burnt publicly. But he was following his own logic, and he began to deny the Pope's power over purgatory, and uh, he began to deny it over other people's souls. Of his ban, he said it only affected the man-made church, which he had now reasoned had not been given primacy through divine decision. And so it did not affect his relationship with God. Faith alone was all that mattered to Luther. He spoke against bishops and ministers who would excommunicate someone, which is what they were threatening to do to him over money matters, which is what he saw the matter of indulgences. And he was saying that bishops and ministers who did this should be disobeyed. The church still had not officially labelled Luther a heretic, but they began to fire back. A Dominican friar called Sylvester Priarius attacked Luther and threatened him as a heretic. Luther compared this to the way that Johann Tetzel had attacked him. Tetzel, remember, was the one selling indulgences in Germany. In Luther's response to Priarius, he brought up Tetzel, and this response showed just how acerbic Luther could be. He said, quote, I am sorry now that I despised Tetzel. Ridiculous as he was, he was more acute than you. You cite no scripture, you give no reasons. Like an insidious devil, you pervert the scriptures. You say that the church consists virtually in the Pope. What abominations will you not have to regard as the deeds of the church? End quote. This is radical. Luther is saying that if the Pope is the physical embodiment of the church, which was doctrine, then what the Pope does, the church has done. He goes on to cite some of the horror show popes that had existed, like Julius II, 
who had led troops in battle and shed blood, wielding temporal authority, or Boniface VIII, who had reigned with such tyranny that Dante, in his Divine Comedy, had placed him in the eighth circle of hell. This was it. He'd done it. In his life, he had gone from resisting his father's wishes, resisting his own internal despair, and now resisting the authority of the most powerful person in the world. Not long after, Luther was ordered to get his disobedient ass to Rome to answer charges of heresy and contumacy. Contumacy, by the way, is a great word, and it is what we are all about. It is the stubborn refusal to obey or comply with authority. Cheers to the contumacious. So Luther the contumacious was now in full mode rebel. This clash was going to intensify. Over the next 20 years, in fact. And we will look at how that took place in the next episode.